address the pink elephant in the room. How many know it's daylight savings time Sunday? Okay, half of you, half of you. So the other half of what, are you asleep? You're tired? I understand. I understand. I am too. You know, I'm an old man. I need my, you know, 18 hours of sleep a day. And when I only get 17, you know, Star will tell you, I get cranky, you get moody and things like that. So God has something for each of us here today. But we have got to be open. We have got to be receptive. We have to be awake to be able to receive it. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Tell him a hallelujah today. Worship him. Stretch your arms. Open your mouth. Yawn if you have to. It's okay. And let's get ready and let's receive something from the Lord today. Amen? Amen. It may be daylight saving Sunday. It may be gloomy outside, but the Lord is alive and he is in this place and he will prepare your hearts to receive what he wants you to receive if you'll let him. Amen. 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 Oh my goodness, we have a celebrity with us today. May Redeem Palmer. May Redeem Palmer is with us today. May Redeem, God bless you. Give her a hand. May Redeem just lost her dear husband, Victor, a few days ago. And she has been his primary and virtually only caregiver for a long, long time. That kept her from being with us. But she is so faithful to be with him and to take care of him. And uh, we celebrate Victor with his homegoing. Such a wonderful, wonderful man of God. We miss him. Incredible, talented, intelligent man. But it's so great to have May Redeem back with us today. May Redeem, we love you. Glad you're here. And just so you know that I know, you were the brains of the family. He got all the accolade, but we know who was the real impetus behind it all. Great to see you. Great to see you. Now, some of you might have been alive on December 7th, 1941, a beautiful Sunday morning in the paradise of Hawaii, when without warning, Japan attacked our military bases at Pearl Harbor. It was Tuesday, September 11, 2001, when American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Centers in New York City. On January 12, 2010, another Tuesday, an earthquake hit the nation of Haiti and over 300,000 people lost their lives. Then, of course, headlining virtually every headline in our newspapers today, the coronavirus continues to take lives as it stalks mankind around the world. And so what we see is there's a lot of people that ask the question. And if we're honest, there may even be some of us. In moments like these, we ask the question, where is God? Where is God in all this? I mean, come on, doesn't the Bible say that the presence of God is, is with us? Isn't he supposed to be present in our lives? What about that cornerstone that, that says, I will never leave you or forsake you? But when there are acts of war, acts of terrorism, natural disasters, and life-threatening epidemics, where is God? 
But let's ratchet it up a notch. And that's the question. Where is God right now in my life? Last week we talked about three different kinds of God's presence. The overwhelming presence of God, the sustaining presence of God, and the overflowing or incarnational presence of God. And one reference in the Bible of the overwhelming presence of God is, is in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The presence of God filled the church to such a heaviness that the priests couldn't even stand to perform their duties. And perhaps you've been in those environments where the weight of God's glory is so heavy that you can feel it tangibly. Whether you fall to the floor under His presence or you've wept in His presence or you've danced in His presence, your life was transformed because you could actually feel the presence of God in an overwhelming way. Then there's also the sustaining presence of God. And that is His practical everyday presence in your life. It's a sustaining presence of God that's with us day in and day out and gives us the strength to make it when we're going through the darkest days of darkest days of our life. Then last week we also talked about the overflowing or the incarnational presence of God. You see, the reason that God engages us in such tangible ways to overwhelm us and to sustain us is so that we're able to be incarnational carriers of His presence into a hurting world. And the residue or the overflow of His glory rests on our life so strongly that it affects our office, it affects our social encounters, and it can influence everyone around us. And so ladies and gentlemen, we need to be carriers of God's presence to such an extent that the overflow of that presence in our lives will impact everything we do and everyone we come in contact with. And that's when we'll make a difference in our world when the presence of God radiates out from us. I've talked about this scripture before with you, Romans 12, 12. That says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And see, we can rejoice and we can be patient because our prayer is a supernatural communication that we have with Almighty God. See, when I'm praying, it incubates my hope, a hope that's not built on my current situation, a hope that's not built on what I'm facing, but a hope that is built upon God's presence and God's glory in my life. So when I pray, I'm developing hope, and out of that hope that's connected to God's presence, well, that's where I get my joy. Hope is incubated through prayer, and hope is a foundation, or, or another way of saying it's the orchard that joy grows. And after all, the joy of the Lord is my strength, which sustains me in my time of tribulation. You see, that's how it works. Prayer incubates hope, and hope grows joy, and joy sustains me with patience in the middle of the trials and tribulations of life. And so how does all that connect to the presence of God? Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 2 says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So my hope is connected to the presence of God in my life. My hope isn't anchored in my situation. My hope isn't anchored in the government or in my bank account or my doctor, and certainly not in my own abilities. 
My joy is connected to my future sustained hope that's connected to the glory and the presence of God. Now, of course, the glory of God can come up on my life, and He can heal me today. And my prayer is that He does. But ultimately, ultimately, my hope is in the glory of God that's going to change me on that great day when I see Him face to face. You see, because here on earth, there's just a partial revelation of His presence and His glory, but there's going to be a perfect revelation of His presence and His glory later on when He takes us home to heaven. So even though I find myself suffering through pain, today I understand that someday all of this is going to give way to the weight of His glory, and that glory is going to make the pain fade away. And so I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God for the future. But what about today? I mean, after all, Aren't there certain things that we expect from God that we label good? You hear it all the time. We serve a good God. But yet, because He's good to us, we still often take for granted what He does for us. And right now, most of you parents are thinking of your children, right? Well, apparently not. I guess my kids were the only one who took advantage of me took it for granted. But sometimes, even as Christians, it's easy for us to take for granted the good things from God. And so, when we see something that doesn't meet our expectations, like an act of war, or an act of terrorism, or a virus outbreak, people ask, how can a good God let those things happen? I mean, where is He? Before I dive into that, let me say that is not a new question. This is not something new for today. All through the Old Testament, the oppressors of Israel asked them the same thing. As you study the Bible, whoever took Israel captive mocked them and said, your priests tell you about a God who is your shield and your protector. You waste your breath singing songs about a God who's your deliverer. Where's your God now while you are stuck in Babylonian captivity? Why doesn't your God come and take care of you while you are in Assyrian captivity? If your God is so powerful, if he's so good, where is he now? So you see, this isn't a new question in the midst of tragedy. And we can even take it further because in Matthew 27, at the darkest hour of his life, they asked the same question to Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. They taunted him. They mocked him and saying, you say that you are the son of God. You saved others, so why don't you save yourself? Where is your God now? Why doesn't he rescue you in your pain and your tragedy? Same questions that are asked about God today were asked about the Israelites and were asked about ask of Jesus on the cross. And it could very well be questions that you're asking concerning your pain and your problems where is God in all this where was he on 9-11 where was he when that hurricane ravaged Haiti well I can assure you he was not absent 
He was not absent. But you see, here's the thing. Quite possibly, he probably wasn't there in the way we wanted him to be. Or in the way maybe we expected him to be. Where is God during acts of war, acts of terror, natural disasters, or pandemics? He is at the same place he was on Good Friday when his own son was being crucified. He is there in the midst of the pain, identifying with our suffering, acting to resolve it in ways that we don't and we cannot begin to understand. God is working his sovereign agenda of his ultimate purpose in our world and in your life. That's where God was, and that's where God is. Now, that answer may not and probably won't satisfy some people who are wondering how God could let mankind suffer like he does. As if so much of the time we don't bring it upon ourselves. And so that kind of thought leads to the question, if God even exists. But you see, I, most of us here today, I believe, aren't questioning God's existence because of the world's suffering or even our own suffering. But I believe what we're interested in today is, is something a little deeper. Does God's existence matter in my pain? Does it make a difference in my suffering? I mean, we're not asking if he's real. We know he's real, but does him being real matter when life is bashing me against the rocks? Does his reality affect my suffering? You need to understand today that God can sustain you in your time of need. Of course, we rejoice in the hope of his glory, but that's based on a future, on the future when I get to heaven. But some people need to know, is there any hope for me in the here and now? I need to know there is a sustenance to keep me, a peace. I need to know that there's a presence that's walking with me in the trouble that I'm going through right now. I need to know, is there hope for today? We need the presence of God to sustain us while we are in the fire. Well, David said in Psalms 27, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Right. And the next is a key phrase. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. David said, I'm certain I'm going to see God's goodness and I'm going to see his presence in my life. Now, I know heaven's going to be incredible, but David said, I am confident and I believe that he's going to take care of me while I am on this earth. There is a sustaining presence of God that will hold me in his arms right now. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, we all know that there's going to be a day when God's going to wipe away all of our tears from our eyes, when he takes what's mortal and makes it immortal. He's going to erase all the pain, and that's going to be an amazing day. But unless he decides to come back today, that's not going to be today. But yet, we have the promise that he is our help in the time of trouble. 
And wherever you are, God says, even when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. When you go through the storms of this life, I am with you. When you are in the deepest trouble, I am with you. What's interesting is there are some people that, that even have issues with that because they don't believe that God and trouble can exist under the same roof. But according to Psalm 46, God not only coexists with trouble, He is very present. He's a very present help in the middle of trouble. But you see, the problem with that is that some of us, I'm not pointing any fingers, so don't worry, I'm not going to call anyone out. But some of us have become very good at looking at our trouble, at wallowing in our problems fixating on our difficulties, and not nearly as good at looking at God in the midst of our troubles. Where is our focus at? The Word doesn't say that He is present in our troubles. It says He is very present in our troubles. Where was God on December 7th on 9-11? Where is God today? The presence of God is everywhere, no doubt. But I want you to know He is very present when someone is in pain. He is very present when someone is in trouble. And if God is anywhere this morning, He is in this very room. He is in the midst of your pain. He is in the middle of your brokenness. And if your life is a disaster today and there is tragedy in your life, if God is anywhere, God is present in your situation. I mean, after all, one of the names of God in the Scripture is Jehovah Shammah, which means the God who is there or the God who is present. So according to Psalm 46, when you're in trouble, he is very present. Now, when we face troubles, when we face difficulties, and I'm not talking about being defriended on Facebook. I'm not talking about that kind of trouble. I'm talking about real problems, problems that matter in your life. Like, you know, money issues, loneliness, medical problems. Problems with relationships. You know, when you think about it, what is the common theme of all of those? Fear. Fear is a common thing. Fear of what the doctor is going to say. Fear that I can't pay my bills. Fear my marriage isn't working. Fear my kids are going to turn out like the preacher's kids. Fear captures our thoughts. Fear fuels our belief. Fear can consume our entire life. Fear is the underlying aspect of it. And so what's the opposite of fear? Faith, trust. God was asking on 9-11, and he is asking us today, do you trust me? Well, I mean, you know, we have to say yes because we're in church. We're supposed to be people of faith. But then what do we do? We turn around and we handcuff God and tell him he has to do it our way. And so our expectation is the result we want instead of relying on God's sovereign will. We don't trust God to know what we need. And then when we don't get what we want, when we don't get the answer we're looking for, that's when we ask, where's God? 
Listen, when we set conditions and parameters for our trust, we provide a playground for the devil to wreak, wreak havoc in our minds. You see, because if anything happens that we didn't ask for, or if anything happens differently than what we want, then the devil bombards us with the fact, hey, God must not be trustworthy at all. When that is not the fact, that is a lie from the pits of hell. Look up Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and quit relying on your own stupidity. Now, that's my translation. The Bible says don't rely on your own understanding, but that's too soft. Quit relying on your own stupidity. Because let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, there is a God and he has all the answers. But let me tell you something else. You ain't him. As many times as we try to act like we are and think we are. Because after all, we know. I mean, God is familiar with what you go through. God is familiar with pain. He's familiar with suffering. And he told us in his word that in this world we would have trials and tribulation. Now those of us who have lived long enough to have experienced some, we realize that. And so our trust is not that in, in, our troubles is our trust is not that troubles won't come, but our trust is that if they do come, that we know God is going to see us through. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your worst fear besides me preaching too long? What's your worst fear? Stock market crash, bad doctor's report. Your husband doesn't come home. Your husband does come home. I'm just saying, you know. Now say it happens. Say it happens. I mean, that doesn't mean God isn't trustworthy. Just because trouble came knocking on your door. You see, trusting God is knowing that he will see me through that trouble and bring me out on the other side. That's what trust is. When calamity hits, when the storms of life crash you against the rocks, he's there to pick up the pieces and put you back together. Not like Humpty Dumpty. Better than new, stronger than ever before, because he, has, he is an ever-present help in your time of trouble. But what happens is we picture the devastation. We focus on the dark clouds. And we will not allow ourselves to see the victory on the other side. The Psalms 112 says, He will not fear bad news. My heart is confident trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured. We will not fear. In the end, we will look in triumph on our foes. Now notice it doesn't say that we're not going to receive bad news. But it says that we have no fear of bad news because we trust and know that God is working all things for our good. And that means in the end, when the storm is over, the sun is going to shine again and we will look in triumph at our enemies. 
Listen, instead of fearfully asking what happens if, we need to ask, what will God do if? It's God's problem. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. When I said there's God's problem, they were just a oh, sucked all the air out of the room. Sucked all the air out of the room. I almost fainted. I couldn't breathe. Why? Because we really don't believe it's God's problem. I'm just letting you catch your breath. Just letting you catch your breath. What will God do if? Now, <laughs> we're in the season of political campaign promises where they, you know, I mean, I try very hard not to get political, but come on, let's get real. If you believe anything any one of them say, you could be dumber than dirt. There are some good ones, there's some bad ones, but you know, they promise and it's very difficult for them to deliver. But listen to what the politicians of all politicians, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who holds us in the palm of his hand, listen to what he promises. Psalms 138, I will fulfill my purpose for you. Romans 8, I will work all things together for your good. All things, not a few things, not some things. Isaiah 49, I will fight those who fight you. 2 Chronicles, I will fight this battle for you. 2 Corinthians, I will equip you with divine power. Micah 7, I will delight to show you mercy. Philippians 4, I will meet all your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, I will give you grace that is perfectly sufficient and be your power in weakness. Ephesians 3, I will do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you. And to top it all off, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he could lie. God is not going to break his promise to you. Where is God in the middle of your trouble? God is on your side. God is always with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always look upon you with favor, and you will look at your foes in defeat. They will be defeated before you. I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone in here when I say that the world we live in right now is not a world of justice. I think most of you would agree that we are living in a world of pain and unfairness. But you see, there are moments and methods where, where God does step into that trouble. And he steps in in a very present way and with his miraculous mercy. And one of the ways that God shows up in our life is through our prayer. 
which, as I said earlier, incubates our hope, which gives us joy, which gives us the strength to endure. Another way that, that God shows up in our life is through the revelation of his word. When we consume it, when we digest it, it's the bread of life. But another way that God shows up and shows and his presence shows up is through Christians worshiping him together. When you study the Bible, there is a supernatural revelation of the presence of Jesus that comes into a place like this when we are worshiping together, focusing upon his name. Now, we may not see it tangibly every Sunday, but there is a supernatural power in the presence of God when it is experienced in Christian community. Jesus said, if only two or three are gathered in his name, he is right there. And wherever Jesus is, there is incredible power, and it's enough power to defeat any devil that you're facing in your life. Listen, the reason the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together in the house of God, isn't because he's against you sleeping in. I mean, Lord knows, a lot of us need our beauty sleep. That's not the point. He says that because God knows there's something powerful when we come together in unity in a place like this. And that means when the music isn't perfect or the sermon doesn't move anyone and things don't go as planned, if Jehovah Shammah is here, if the presence of God is here, if Jesus shows up, people's lives are going to be changed anyway. Not about the show. It's about the power. And there is power when we come together in the name of Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people looking for answers today. A lot. So was Job, his wife, and his friends. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, Job, with boils covering his body, received some loving and comforting advice from his wife. Job, just go ahead and curse God and die so you can end your misery. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting? I remember how touched I was when Starla told that to me. I was just so blessed. Well, then Job's buddy stopped by, and they tried to comfort him with the why questions. Why did God do this to you? Where is God in the time of your trouble? What did you do to deserve this? But see, what Job learned in this tragedy was that he needed to spend less time worrying about the answers from God and realize that his hope was sustained when he got in the presence of God. You see, because Job says in chapter 42, verse 5, I heard reports about you. He told the Lord, hey, I heard about you, but now, but now my eyes have seen you. Listen, you need to know these things when you're going through pain. You need to understand the priority of his presence when things are not going well in your world. And the last thing you need when your world is falling apart is some of Job's friends playing the blame game about why you're in or shouldn't be in the situation that you're facing. What you need in a moment like that is a touch of the Savior who has absolutely already been through the pain that you are feeling. The one who's been broken the way that you're broken, who knows what it is to lose a child, to be betrayed by a friend, to be alienated from a father. There have been times in my life when I've screamed for answers, but if I could just get in his presence, his presence was enough. 
You find that in Job's statement in Job 19.25 when he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand up on the earth. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. Somehow, the mysterious sustaining presence of God in that, Job knew God's presence was more important than knowing the answer to why he was suffering. Now, maybe today, maybe today there are legitimate questions of life that deserve legitimate answers. But for those of us who don't need a defense of God's existence, instead of being like Job's friends and trying to find out why, instead of running to God for answers that we can't grasp or we can't get our head around, maybe we should just understand that there is a greater hope and a greater peace by simply getting into God's presence. Get in his presence. That's the key. You know, Psalm 73 asks, Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? But Asaph said in Psalm 73, 16, But when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. The modern translation would be, When I tried to understand all this, I got a headache. Until, until I entered into God's sanctuary. He said, I was able to get over the injustice of it all. I was able to get past the why questions because all of that faded away when I got into God's presence. Now, I'm certainly no theologian, and I don't have all the answers like my sister. So that means that there are some problems that I don't have a response for. But I can tell you from history... When God's people have asked, they've been less concerned about the answers to why and more concerned about getting into the presence of God. Because something happens to pain when you get in the realm of His presence. That's why Psalm 16 says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. As I close, let me give you a challenge. Are you kidding me? Christmas music? Christmas music and we're going into summer? Somebody needs to change their ringtone. Someone's either really behind or really ahead, one of the two. I don't know which it is. Oh, my Lord. Oh, where was I? I was closing, wasn't I? Let me give you a challenge. <laughs> Sorry. Let me, get my, let me get serious again. I mean, Christmas carols. I... <laughs> Psalm 46.1 says, Our God is a very present help in the time of trouble. But then a couple of verses later, verse 10 says, Be still 
and know that I am God. When trouble hits or when catastrophe occurs, you know, our usual response is to get busy. We get in a hurry. We start scurrying around looking for, for answers to, where is God in my suffering? God, why did you let this happen to me? But while I'm searching, trying, by the way, in my own strength, handcuffing God, by the way, to want it to work out my way, God is simply saying, be still. Take a chill pill and be still. But I'm shouting, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And he said, be still and know that I am God. It's because the Bible teaches us that God is present all the time. He's everywhere. David said in Psalms 139, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. David says, there is nowhere I can go and not be in your presence. And so here's the kicker. If God is present all the time, why don't we feel him all the time? See, I can assure you it's not that he is not there. God is beside you wherever you go. God is beside you whatever you face. And so it's not that he's not there. It's just that we're not as conscious of his presence as maybe we have been in times past. And so when we pray, where are you, God? God's answer is always, I'm right here. I'm right here. So since God's presence is everywhere, the real issue for us is the realization of his presence and becoming conscious of his presence. If you want to get into presence, if you want to get into the presence of God, start worshiping. Start worshiping. God inhabits the praises of his people. And if you'll worship God with your whole heart and your whole mind, that means Dr. Phil can't be on in the background. You can't be listening to Ellen with one ear. Get into his presence with worship. Because he's always been there. And that means we don't have to beg God to show up at our fight. He's already there. He was there before we came. We don't have to beg God in those moments when it feels like we can't find him because his presence hasn't gone anywhere. We simply need to awaken our spiritual consciousness to the realization that he is, in fact, with us in the fire and in the battle. And so instead of begging God to get here, we need to plead with God to change us so that we can see Him. We need to pray that God would open our spiritual eyes 
Job said, I don't need answers. I just need God's presence. Asaph said, I wanted an answer, but when I got into your sanctuary and was overwhelmed with your presence, it didn't matter anymore. Everything was okay. We just need to get to the place where we can see him face to face. Moses prayed, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. You see, because his face, God's face is his presence. So this morning, I know things may be tough in your life, but keep believing. Keep believing. Keep believing. The sun will rise again. And if we can get to the point where we can understand where God is in the, in the time of tragedy, you can get to the place where you know where He is in your pain and your brokenness. Instead of looking for answers about why it's the way it is, get in His presence and God will be your strong tower for whatever you